So today, Father, we pray that you would confirm this truth in our hearts. We believe that you are bringing us to life, that you have come that we might have life. There is a thief who would love to steal and kill and destroy. destroy. He's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Lord, don't let it be us. Don't let us be consumed by the enemy when we can be consumed in your holy flame today, Lord. We're not consumers. We're consumed with you, Lord. You are our passion. You are our heart cry. You are everything we need. You are all that we are longing for. You are the one who made us and you are the one we were made for. All things were made by you and for you, including and especially us. So Lord, we just come to you today like clay comes to a potter. We can't make ourselves, Lord. We'd make a mess if we did. But you say you will make us fishers of men. You will make us into disciples that you who formed us in our mother's wombs are still working. Lord, don't stop until we look so much like Jesus that people who see us see you. We ask this believing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Please be seated. What an amazing week, really whole week this has been. I've had the chance to see children give their hearts to Jesus Christ this week. That's been amazing. That never gets old, if you wonder. That never, ever gets old. And then I've walked with some of our families through the grief of parents who were very, very ill. Um, on, on Friday, we traded in one 11th grade girl for nine ninth grade boys. What a deal, right? So our daughter went away for the weekend, and nine ninth grade boys took over the floor where she lives. The whole floor is her floor, and they took over. And it was really, really fun. It was loud in a little bit different kind of way, kind of more like an earthquake kind of way. And um, we got to play a lot of football, and I got to be quarterback. I haven't done that in a long time. And uh, the way I kept throwing it to the other team, it looked like I hadn't done that in a long There were some pick sixes going the other way. I was kind of like Matt Schaub for a weekend, you know. Sorry, Matt, no, no offense intended. But it was, but it was lots and lots of, of fun. And then yesterday morning, to see hundreds of our people go and serve the city, just remember Vision 2020 is make disciples, make relationships, make a difference. And we saw that before our very eyes with red shirts of hundreds of people walking out the doors. My predecessor, Daniel Vestal, said a lot of good things. One of the best things I remember hearing him say was, maybe the measure of a church is not how many people come in on Sunday, but how many people go out? And we sent a lot of people out. And remember Jesus breathed on his disciples last Last Sunday, John 20, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So God sends us out to make a difference in the world. So when I finished preaching on John 20 last week, my daughter-in-law, Graham's wife, Abigail, was up in Indiana with her family. Her pastors are Dave Stone and Kyle Eidelman. Those are really good pastors, by the way. And they did a tag team sermon, which was kind of neat. I'd only seen that a couple times. 
And Dave Stone said something at that sermon, preaching on Thomas, that I will never forget because I listened to the sermon. She gave me her notes, and then I went back and listened. This is what Dave Stone said. He said, you have heard preachers say that the question we should ask people is, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? But he said, I want to ask a very different question. What if you don't? What if you don't die tonight? Is the path that you are on going to a place that you want to go? And what if the trajectory you are on spiritually right now plays itself out? Where will you be? Now that's a great question. It's a question, for instance, that Peter might have asked after Jesus appeared to the disciples, Kenneth Quick said that the only omnicompetent executive in history chose Simon Peter, a man of great strengths and glaring weaknesses to lead his fledgling church. I wonder what that says about how God can use us and what he's about to do in us. Would you open your Bibles with me? John chapter 21. We've got a couple more weeks with our call to Christ. Remember our theme verse this year, 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we've been thinking about being called to Christ starting May 1st. We start to think about call to community, which is the second part of Vision 2020. In case you're, you're wondering, that's what that's about. And we continue in that as we grow closer to what God is doing. Let's stand together in reverence for our God and His Word. Let me just read these first 14 verses to you. John chapter 21, title of our message, After. What do you do after? Here it is. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to His disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and Two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, rowing, Uh, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards and when they landed they saw a fire of burning coals and there with fish on it and some bread and Jesus said to them bring some of the fish you've just caught so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore it was full of large fish 153 but even with so many the net was not torn Jesus said to them come and have breakfast none of the disciples dared ask him who are you they knew it was the Lord Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised 
from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Peter had a long roller coaster ride of a history with Jesus. If Peter had described his relationship with Jesus on Facebook back in the day, he would have said complicated because their relationship was complicated. In fact, what we see is that Jesus finds him. The Gospel of John tells another part of the story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell part of the story. Jesus uh, fishing with Peter in a boat, and Jesus uh, uses his boat to teach, and then tells him how to catch a bunch of fish, which is echoed in this story at the end of Jesus' ministry. But John is the one who tells us that Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, is one of Jesus' first followers. And the first thing he does after he spends a day with Jesus is find his brother Simon and say, you got to meet him. He's the Messiah. And the first time Jesus sees Peter, he says, you are and you will be. You are, this is John 1.42, you are Simon, son of John. That's who you've been your whole life. You have always been Simon, son of John. You will be Cephas, which means Peter, like a rock. And in that very moment, Jesus introduced the process of discipleship, which would take Peter a lifetime to live. So if Jesus were talking to us today, what would he say? You, you are and call you by name, but who does he believe that you will be? Who is he making you to be? He said to Peter on another occasion, after Peter caught a lot of fish, I will make you a fisherman. I will make you. You will be. Well, that starts the journey, and in chapter 6, you have one of those high points on the roller coaster ride for Peter. He's right at the top of the mountain when he says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of life. We're not going to leave you. Everybody else left you. We're not going to leave you. But in chapter 13, when he's still trying to be the greatest of the apostles, Jesus wants to wash his feet, and he says, you're not washing my feet. There is no way you are washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part in this. And then Peter said, so wash me completely, because I want to be a part of them. Peter is, you know, he's hot and cold. He's all in. He's always going overboard and sort of coming up like a drowned rat. This is kind of Peter's story. And a lot of us resonate with Peter because we're hot and we're cold, we're high and we're low. We, we go through all kinds of motions and emotions and commotion on the journey with Jesus. This is Peter's story. And so when he and his, his fellow disciples are gathered there, and here's what I love about Peter. He was a leader. Some of you are leaders. You know what I mean when I say, if Peter said, I'm going to do this, others would always say, we'll go with you. Sometimes that was really good. <laughs> Sometimes that was not so good. And he says, I'm going fishing. And they say, we'll go fishing with you. And you can't blame, you can't blame Peter for going fishing. He was born in the town of Bethsaida, which means the house of fish. You grew up in the house of fish. You watch fishing. You practice fishing. You grow up fishing. And then you have idle time and you think, must be time to fish. I'll, I think I'll just go fishing. Let's imagine, let's say you grew up in South Louisiana and all your life you loved Cajun food and then you wake up one day on Easter morning and you say to your parents, everybody eats crawfish on Easter. And your parents say, this happened to us last week, we never heard of that before, 
But okay, we'll do that. Why? Because if you grew up doing that, then in your idle moment, that's what comes to your mind. And in Peter's case, so it's natural for him to go fishing. I used to, you know, some writers say, oh, he's apostatizing here. He's leaving the faith behind. See, the thing about the disciples is even after Jesus arose, they still had to eat, right? And he's not there giving out like the free fish sandwiches, And so they got to eat, and so they go fishing. Now, if that's all they were ever going to do for the rest of their life, that would not have been good. But he he goes fishing, and this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus is relentless in pursuing his disciples. So if you got a plan B or C or D or E, other than walking with Jesus for the rest of your life, let me just give you a heads up. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. And he will pursue you until you see him. And we're singing this morning. We're waiting here for you. That is such an amazingly beautiful song. Thank you, Leslie. What a beautiful song. We are waiting here for you. But we need to know also he is waiting for us to follow him, to make him the centerpiece of our lives. And this is what I know from the story. We can either spend the rest of our lives trying to find food to feed ourselves. Or if we love him, we can find ways to feed others. And Jesus is making us into the kind of people who don't just serve ourselves, but serve others. We got a front row seat to that yesterday. I just want to say, so it turns out Monday, tomorrow, is Serve the City Day. And Tuesday, oh, that'll be Serve the City Day. Wednesday, same thing. Thursday, Friday. You're on a short-term, can I just commission you this morning, all of you in the room, you're on a short-term mission trip for the rest of your life. And your work is to feed his sheep to care for the needs of us. I was walking on the bayou this week. I ran into somebody. I met this person before, and we just start talking there as our dogs are annihilating each other, wrestling with each other, playing, and she just starts to tell me the story of of pain in the life of one of her children, and I'm thinking right up the street from me is somebody who's been through so much. And just a reminder to me, not so subtle, thank you, God. It's really not about me. It's really not about what's going on in my life or how busy I am or what, what I haven't gotten done or what I need to get done or because there are sheep that need to be fed. We, I can feed myself or I can feed the sheep. I probably can't do both well, if you know what I mean. I don't mean just eating every day, but I mean feeding my own self-centeredness or I can serve. Which will it be for, for people like us? So two thoughts on this passage, if I may give them to you. First of all, if we will practice watching for Jesus Christ, we will get to the place where we recognize what he's doing. I only say this because have you noticed about the disciples after Easter that nobody seems to be able to recognize Jesus? Mary Magdalene's in the garden. Sir, she thinks he's a gardener. Sir, tell me where you put the body. I'll go get it. Jesus says, Mary, she doesn't recognize him. The the two disciples on the road to Emmaus walk with him for seven miles. They don't see him. Luke Luke tells us something was blinding their eyes. They couldn't see. Maybe this is happening here. Maybe there's just fog on the shore, but you got seven disciples sitting in a boat. They've been fishing all night and Jesus shows up on the shore. And at this point, if I'm them, I'm looking. I'm looking. Where is he? Where is he going to show up? Because he can come into a room where the doors are locked and, and uh, he, can, he can come at any time. He's, he shows up about 10 times over 40 days. I'm looking for him. But they see this guy on the shore and they're back to fishing. Why, why are they fishing? Well, 
My friend Bob Newell said it well years ago. We were standing over in the fireplace room. I'll never forget, he said, we don't go back to what's right. We'll go back to what's familiar, even if it's wrong. We will resort, revert in our quiet moments back to what's comfortable, even if it's not the right thing. So they're, they're fishing and somebody shows up on the shore and they haven't caught anything all night. Why haven't they caught anything all night? Oh yeah, because Jesus said, John chapter 15, verse five, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, at one level, they're in the right place. Mark 16, seven, he said to the women to tell the disciples, go on over to Galilee. That's where they are. Go on over to Galilee because I'm gonna come to them and they'll see me. So they're waiting. We're waiting here for you. And they go fishing. And somebody shows up on the shore. Just a hint to those of you who don't fish. This is just for you. I've spent my whole life fishing. I love fishing. Here's just a a word to you. If somebody is fishing and they don't immediately show you what they've caught when you walk up, do not ask them, haven't you any fish? More often it's asked this way. Had any luck? You had any luck? If you haven't caught fish, that's the last thing you want to hear anybody ask. Here's the second thing you don't want to hear. Why don't you try this? Just try this. You know, you've been fishing. Oh, you've been fishing on the left side of the boat. No, no, the right side. And they know enough to know to try it. I don't know why. And they try it and they catch more fish. And right then, John, this is interesting because the first thing we read is they don't know it's Jesus. But then in verse seven, when they catch all the fish, John, the beloved disciple says, it's the Lord. How, How does he know? Why is he the first to know? I pondered this all week. I mean, he stays with Jesus even through the crucifixion experience. He's there with Mary underneath the cross. Uh, He runs to the tomb with Peter to see, and he sees all the burial clothes like somebody's just come out of them. I mean, he's, he's been there all along. But look at the way he's described. He's described as the one whom Jesus loved. And I'll tell you something. If you know somebody loves you, if you really know somebody loves you, you'll be looking for them because you want to see them. You want to see the people who love you. And I just came this morning to tell you, and that one who loves you is Jesus. That's why he comes to the shore. And John has lived in this loving relationship with him. There's this intimacy in their relationship. So he knows Jesus when he sees him. Maybe he didn't know him just when he walked up, but when they see the miracle, he's like, "It's, it's the Lord. And he recognized him. I was thinking about this when I was a kid for a while. I lived in Chicago waiting for my dad to find a house for us in Germany and Chicago. I lived in Alaska and Montana, but the coldest place I've ever been in my life is Chicago in like November because the wind was coming off the lake. But I remember every afternoon, my uncle with whom we lived in a trailer park Um, we stayed with him for about four months and he would come home from the post office where he worked and we would walk a half mile to the front of the trailer park because we wanted to be there when he showed up in his little green Chevy Vega not a very memorable car but but we wanted to see him because we knew our uncle loved us he was cool he was fun he just he was what all uncles and aunts could be should be amazing amazing love I was thinking about my my dad Um, he only ever came to one of my wrestling meets when I was a wrestler uh, in school but I remember that one because first of all he drove the bus second of all I remember it because one of the wheels came off the bus while we were driving across a mountain pass which is memorable kind of experience and then I remember when we got to the place where we were wrestling My dad came in, and I was down in the match, but when I saw him, 
I was Superman. You can't lose with your dad watching you. Because you don't just have your strength, you have his strength. So I'm wrestling for all, I'm, I'm undefeated when my dad's in the room. Unfortunately, he wasn't in the room enough for me to be a very good wrestler. But when he was there, I was really, really good. Because I felt like he was there and I got it, you know. And this is, I think this is what's going on with John. He recognizes this amazing love that Jesus has for him. And so he, he knows him when he sees him. This is important because there will come a point when the others in verse 12 will say, nobody asked, it says, nobody asked him, are you the Lord? Because they've come to understand who he is. And I just want to say, if we're watching for him this week, you just never know when he might show up. When he might show up and he might do something so amazing that we can't even imagine. I was thinking of Lee Strobel's movie that's out right now. Maybe you've seen it, um, The Case for Christ. If you haven't seen it, you ought to see it. It's a good movie. And in the movie, Lee Strobel is this uh, journalist, true story, in Chicago. And his wife's become a Christian. He wants to disprove Christianity. And he's a critical thinker. And he's a journalist. And he's an analytical thinker. So he's just going to disprove Christianity. How hard can that be, right? I mean, how hard can it be to disprove? And he begins to explore. And the more he explores the evidence, he begins to see it really is true. And there comes a point when he prays. And this is what he prays. God, I'm not even sure I believe that you're there. But if you are, would you reveal to me who you are? Verse 1, verse 14, Jesus revealed. God's not playing hide and seek. He's playing seek and find. You're looking for him. You never know when he's going to show up, when he's going to do something. Henry Blackaby said, here's the deal. God is always at work in the world. All you have to do is find out what he's doing and join him. You can join. I think we did that yesterday morning. I think this is what he was doing yesterday morning. Serve the city and, and tomorrow. He'll, he'll still want you to serve the city. We can still find out what God is doing in the world and join him. In that second thought about this passage of scripture. The first one again. After Easter, if we watch for the risen Lord... We will come to the place that we recognize him when he's at work. Second thought. If we love him first and best, we will show our love by serving other people. So this is what's going on with, with Peter at this point. Now, I think Peter wants Jesus to know that he loves him. So how's he going to show Jesus that he loves him? So when John says it's the Lord, Peter gets dressed up and then goes overboard. Do you see that? I mean, that's not the way we go swimming, right? We were swimming at my house yesterday. I mean, that's not the way people swim. You know, you don't like put on more clothes to jump in the pool. But you, if you're, the, the, the Pharisaical law, the, the Hebrew law said, if you're going to meet somebody and greet them, that is an act of blessing. And so you need to be properly attired, whatever that means, put some clothes on. But then at the same time, he just can't wait to see Jesus. So they may take the boat, Jesus, but I'm going to swim. And I think in some ways he's trying to overcome the guilt of the times that he denied Jesus because there was that time by the fire when he was looking at the fire and they said, so you're one of Jesus. No, I'm not. But you know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. Aren't you one of Jesus? I never heard of him. And that was right after he said, I will never ever deny you. Even though the rest of these disciples leave you, I will never ever deny you. So he's, he's like trying to make up for what he's done. So how does he do that? Well, I'll swim to shore. Maybe, maybe if I swim to shore, he'll know that I, I, lo I love him more. Or, or when Jesus, you know, they, got the, they come back to the fire, which must have sort of brought a memory to Peter about the last time he was by a fire. And they're by the fire and Jesus says, so bring some of your fish. And Peter goes back to the boat 
and starts pulling the fish in. 153 of them. I'll do the, no, no, I don't need help. Got this all by myself because I love Jesus more than you people do. And I just, even though I denied him, that wasn't me, Jesus. When I did that, when I said that wasn't me, Jesus, no, 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 I'll carry 153 fish. But you know why there were 153 fish? It is amazing how imaginative and inventive scholars have been about this for the last 2,000 years. Somebody said, okay, well, it's 100 for the full incoming of the Gentiles, 50 for the, uh, for the remnant of the Jews, and three for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 100 and 53. And you don't count them until they get to the shore because we don't know who the elect are until we get to heaven. Just all kinds of imaginative theories. One person said, did you know that 153 is the sum of all the numbers from 1 to 17 if you add them? 1 plus 2 is 3. 3 plus 3 is 6. Go on up. It ends up 17. So it's like an equilateral triangle of 17, whatever that means. You know why I think there were 153 fish? Because when they threw the net over the right side, there were like 149 in the net. But right when they pulled it, four more swam in. 153. You probably know better what that means than I do. You can explain it in a Sunday school class some Sunday if you want to. But for me, it's just an actual factual reporting. These are factual kinds of things because that's how many fish there were. And I'll tell you something about fish. Fishermen count fish. We want to know how many we caught and we want to tell everybody how many we caught. It was 153 fish and some of them were large fish and Peter can pull them all in by himself and Jesus feeds them breakfast and then he looks at Peter and here's Peter standing there looking at those coals in the fire remembering the last time he stood by a fire and denied Jesus and here's Jesus on the other side of the fire and he looks up at him right in front of everybody same way that Peter denied Jesus and Jesus says so Simon son of John not Peter it's like when your mom calls you by your whole name right Simon son of John do you love me Maybe your translation said, do you truly love me? Here's the thing. It, it's, it's the Greek word agape. You know, agape, unconditional love. Do you love me with unconditional love? And Peter answers him. This is interesting. You can see it in the Phillips translation. I don't know if you've ever read the J.B. Phillips translation. But he catches the, um, the particular meaning of the verbs. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others? You said you love me more. Do you love me more? Yes, Lord, he replied. You know that I'm your friend. You ever have anybody do that to you? You tell them you love them and they go, I just want to be your friend. Yeah. So Jesus says, uh, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, the little ones. I want them to grow up to be sheep because it turns out not all lambs grow up to be sheep. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, they don't, not everybody grows up in this life. We all should. We don't all. So then Jesus looks at him again and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me with agape? And he answers back with the word phileo, feline, friend. He says, you know, I'm your friend. <laughs> You know I'm your friend. Then Jesus, this is tough. Jesus looks at him and goes, so Simon, son of John, would you say that you are my friend? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know. And the whole while Jesus is saying to him, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus is saying to him, I'm not through with you yet. You are Simon, son of John. You will be Peter, and I'm not through with you. And I used to look at that and think Jesus was trying to make him feel bad. Isn't that crazy? See, I'm trying to learn who Jesus is myself. I don't think that's what this is about. You know what I think Jesus is saying? N.T. Wright helped me with this recently. I was at HBU, and he said, 
Maybe Jesus is saying to him, well, I want you to love me with unconditional love. But if all you got right now is you're my friend, we'll start where you are. We can start there. You're my friend. Good. Because I have work for you to do. And Peter is still becoming, Peter, he's still becoming like Christ. And Jesus is saying to him, I can restore you. I can use you. I can work through you. I am not finished with you. Isn't this good news? C.S. Lewis said, it turns out our, uh, God's love for us is a much safer subject to talk about than our love for God. Seen that movie Silence? Andrew Garfield plays um, that Rodriguez, the, uh, the priest who goes to Japan as a missionary centuries ago. And all the priests have apostatized. They've turned away from the Christian faith because of the persecution. But he's going to go and do the right thing. And, and to prepare for that role, um, Andrew Garfield, the actor who has not spent a lot of time in the Scripture, said he read a gospel just almost every day. He read a gospel so that he could prepare for that role. And I want you to see what he says about that. Andrew Garfield said, um, I think, do we have this quote? I can read it if we don't. He said, what was really easy was falling in love with this person, was falling in love with Jesus Christ. And then he said this, the main thing that I wanted to heal that I brought to Jesus was this feeling of not enoughness. The wound of not enoughness. And when I read that, I thought about Peter. Because he's got guilt. How could he deny Jesus three times? You got Thomas there who doubted him. You got the other ones who ran for their lives that night. But Jesus is going to take this group of guys and the women who are a part of that, and he's going to change history. And Peter's going to be the preacher. Just a few weeks later, Peter is going to be the... This is Eastertide. It lasts for 50 days. Listen, Pentecost will come. And when he preaches at Pentecost, thousands of people are going to be saved. And we look at Peter's story of denying Jesus in John chapter 18. And then we look at the story of Peter preaching in Acts chapter 1. And we go, how did he get from here to there? Well, there was this morning when he had breakfast with Jesus. Standing by the fire. And Jesus said, I can use you. I want to use you to make a difference in the world. Some years ago, one of my, my favorite movies, the movie Tender Mercies, one of my favorite actors, Robert Duvall, it's a baptism scene. He and a little boy that he's adopted get baptized in a church. The movie was made by Horton Foote, won the Academy Award in 1983. Robert Duvall won the Oscar for his performance. It's worth seeing. And they get baptized and they're driving home. The little boy's named Sonny. Robert Duvall is Mac. And Sonny looks up at Mac while Mac is driving the pickup. And Sonny says, well, we did it. We got baptized. Everybody says we're different now. Everybody says we're different. He said, I feel a little bit different. Do, do, you, do you feel different? Do you feel different, Mac? And Mac looks at him and says, yeah, not yet. Not yet. And he says, you know, I, I heard that when you get baptized, You'll look different, the little boy. Sonny says, won't you look different when you get baptized? He said, do you think I look any different? Do you think I look any different? And Mac looks down at him and says, not yet. 
Well, do you look any different? He looks at himself in the mirror and he says, not yet. But that's Peter's story. He's not arrived yet. You are Simon, son of John. You will be Peter. And this is the message I bring to you today is that the moment that you receive Jesus Christ, he begins to transform and to change your life into who you're going to become. But I don't know if you've noticed this, but the process is not complete yet. Not in you and not in me. But here's the really good news. Jesus is relentless because he will find us even if we're running from him. Because the, the thing is, as Peter Marshall said, for a follower of Jesus, it's never again business as usual. You, you can go back to fishing if you want to. You can make fishing your vocation. You won't catch anything because you, you can't do anything apart from him. But think about what you could do with him this week. Because the good news is, whether you feel it, whether you can see him, whether you recognize it, he is with you. And Mary Oliver asks, so tell me, what were you planning to do with your one wild and precious life? Yeah, don't just feed yourself. Feed the sheep. And when you do, you'll find out who he's making you to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace that is greater than our sin, for the privilege of just sort of sitting in this story all week long as I studied. And Lord, I pray that the truth we've learned today will be part of the process of you changing us to make us like Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will make us in your perfect image. You made us in your image at creation. You formed us in our mother's wombs, but you're still making us. And Father, I pray that when we look for you this week, we will see you and your relentless love changing us so that we can change the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.